This concludes our broadcast day. Good night, and God bless America. gosh it's been such a year uh you know i transitioned you know uh my workplace uh i i experienced the the work from home lag that a lot of people experienced early in the pandemic and then uh to top it all off you know the i was able to put out my book um, during the pandemic which is also another nightmare to try to coordinate and think about uh uh in terms of improving upon uh, writing that I had done and, and writing that I would do and where I was in my career at the moment. And um, yeah, it was just, this is a, it was a mess. It was a cacophony of, of just like uh, unbearable fraught tension. And it was very beautiful when it came out, uh, uh, you know, coming out, coming out of the pandemic um, uh, as we know it. Um, but um, uh, once, once we're finally out of there, um, you know, it, it, it's good to look back and know that I was, I was capable of doing all these things at the same, you know, multitasking with all these different uh, ideas, you know, uh, trying to trying to redefine myself professionally and then redefine, you know, what my writing was and what the book might be and, and where that was. So I guess, yeah, uh, it was very isolating. It was very, very sad and uh, a nervous wreck, but, you know, definitely a lot of positives came out of the pandemic, unfortunately for me. So, oh, that's um, good. That's yeah. kind of a weird um, recurring thing that seems to come up with a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's probably not weird, actually, because hmm. we were all in a situation where it was really intense. It was life and death. And I think it makes sense that we were all kind of reevaluating stuff. But I, I heard a lot of people I've heard a lot of people say that, that they were reconsidering things and like um, moving into different professional fields and, and stuff like that. It seems like, a, you know, it seems like that happened a lot. Yeah, it's almost like that search beacon just had to turn inward and suddenly, you know, you're in the scope of of all, all your designs and dreams and self-discovery, you know, is, is tantamount to survival. Um, <laughs> yeah. So whether or not that, you know, that's cultural self-discovery or, or professional or, or personal self-discovery, you know, I, you know, it, it's 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 a good, good time uh to reflect inward and and think about what your true ambitions are and mm. and and what you actually prioritize in life because uh suddenly the the playing field and and the number of pieces just shrunk you know so yeah. you didn't have a lot to uh, uh pander to um you didn't have mm. you didn't have the necessarily the the attentions of your friends and the attentions of your families uh that you were typically used to answering for so um yeah yeah i don't know it's it's it's, it's definitely like almost uh, a benefit if anything of being locked indoors you had more time for yourself <laughs> i guess yeah yeah Dep totally. depending if you have a family or not obviously and, and a partner but you know i have none of those so it's just me and my cat so 
Oh, right on. <laughs> that mm-hmm. that was uh, an enjoyable thing for me too. Was getting to hang out with my cats more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh he's a little spoiled now, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we have to figure out how to how to rein back the uh, the attention that I gave him. But yeah, he's one of those tuxedo cats, so he's he's very people friendly. Oh, that's moment. awesome. I, I have mine. Mine is too. Um, so as you mentioned, you had your book come out during the pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called We Were Called Specimens an oral archive of deity Marjorie. Um, mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could uh, just talk about the concept of the book for the listeners who haven't read it yet. Yeah, so uh, it's funny to, to think of yourself as a creator um, and to think of yourself as producing content. But, you know, throughout grad school, uh, that's kind of what I was being ushered into trying to do, trying to fathom uh, what precisely a book project might entail for me. And so I had all these like really animalistic impulses towards all the different books I was reading at the time. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to write a set of link stories. I wanted to uh, uh, then uh, think about poetry and flash fiction. And so all these like naturalistic tendencies of my reading habits um, kind of coalesced into this, this weird hard diamond um, over time. And it took a lot of really, um, hard moments, um, uh, coming, coming to, uh, to that realization because, you know, uh, the book itself is, is this, is this kind of strange object in in itself. And, and, and I'm happy that it's so strange and, uh, uh, not necessarily easy to pin down because, you know, it works in different genres. It works in different forms and, and it's just kind of very idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic to, to the kinds of stuff that I read and the kinds of stuff that I, I want to publish as, as an editor. Um, so being able to being able to convey that that sort of uh, imagery and journey um, was really intriguing to me. Um, and also, you know, any any creative pursuit, you can find pretty much a reasonable excuse for it in the occult. Um, so. Uh, I'm not necessarily a practitioner of the occult, but uh, uh, I found that the guiding ideas of occult study really kind of came out in this in this in this uh, idea of trying to create an object that would last beyond my own lifetime. I guess mm. uh, to to kind of think of it in in really grandiose terms, but you know, you're trying to make art that lasts and art that pioneers in your, in your field, and and so these ideas of, of, of myth and mysticism and spiritualism and, and connectivity, um, while I don't consciously practice those, to think of that, that sort of legacy alongside of, of what I was writing at the time was kind of helpful in, in guiding my experience. Because, you know, form, formally, I, I was raised pretty, you know, in one of those pretty suburban Christian households. My, my mom grew up in the Protestant church and her father was a, a pastor and, you know, he died when she was young, but, um, you know, that, that legacy still kind of, uh, guided most of my family principles. So, uh, the idea of the, the iconic like book that does all the deciding for you, um, <laughs> was, was, was a structure that I was familiar with. So like to think of, to think of all these, all these, uh, stories coalescing into an idea for me um, uh, was interesting. But 
uh, you know, on reflection, you know, I wanted to write all those different kinds of books. Um, and I really had no idea of, of what I was writing until um, I arrived upon this, this kind of archetypal figure uh, who I call my deity, uh, Marjorie. Um, and it was, it was just mostly by accident because, you know, I was just, I was trying to think of, of uh, innovative ways to kind of get myself into enjoying the habit of writing because uh, being in grad school can really suck the soul out of a lot of like creative pursuits that you have. You know, you're, you're, you're teaching, you're trying to make a living, you're trying to think about your, your professional development alongside of all these creative pursuits that are idealistic and, and definitely not like of the world. <laughs> um, mm. So like trying to like, trying to uh, dispose yourself of, 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 you know, the tendencies that you had to, uh, to, to just like, you know, put yourself down in, in the process of writing. Those, those are just hugely magnified when, when you have uh, uh, no other, um, I guess, no other, mm, I can't think of a word, but when, 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 when you just are kind of lost at sea, I guess. And, and that's kind of what grad school was for me. Um, you know, I came, I came into grad school uh, without much of a professional idea of where I wanted to go I came in I didn't I didn't I had never well I had done some substitute teaching but I hadn't really like considered like being a professor or that was something that I wanted to do so coming into it and being told you're going to teach for three years was something foreign to me um, and immediately like nerve-wracking and 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 not something that I wanted to uh make my focus of, of that of that study um but you know when you're told also that you have to write a multi-hundred page thesis in the process of all that, uh, you kind of, you kind of have to make some concessions along the way. And, and, you know, you can't just idyllically like write and, and you've got a lot of like personal issues to work through as well. Cause no, a lot of people come into grad school at a young formative part of their part of their life. And, and a lot of people have, you know, problems coming into that environment, you know, socially and, and creatively. So uh, it was just, it was a long, long time to kind of think about uh, what it was I was writing and, and what it, what it could be. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess the, the occult stuff came more, more later as, as, as I moved to Kansas and I met uh, a work colleague um, who is much more into the occult than I am. But, you know, I, I worked under the framework and the idea of, of that, that Christian religious text and the iconography of the Christian uh, faith and, and trying to just kind of like satirize that fellowship almost and, and, mm. and thinking about these dark aspects of, of, you know, of uh, uh, you know these these tendencies of us to to be fanatics and and I was growing up you know in grad school during the time of the Trump presidency and the Trump campaign so so having to like just reconcile all these heavy heavy like political uh, uh, moments and also like creative moments and professional moments uh, just coalesce into this like really rough weird assembly of of language and stories. And I necessarily just couldn't focus on one, one path forward. Um, so, you know, naturally, you know, it's, it's kind of a rough object. It's kind of this, this, this object that I have a hard time contextualizing as a individual, you know, I didn't, I didn't go into it saying, I'm going to write a science fiction novel. I wanted to write a science fiction novel, but I wanted to write a, fic a horror novel. I wanted to write, um, 
poetry. I wanted to do all those things at once. And so um, it kind of turned out that way, I guess, in, in its own right. Uh, it's good to find that, that tenor um, maybe in my last year of grad school. And, and uh, you know, the first story came out of a very frustrating part of my grad school study. Um, I had, I had, I had kind of a, 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 a slow start to my thesis production. And, and so to think about, you know, what I had to do for my last year and not being able to produce what I wanted to actually uh, produce uh, was a very frustrating moment. So, you know, there, there was a lot of things that were, that felt like they were bearing down on me. And so when I, when I did finally come to the idea of, of writing a short story and writing a short story specifically about uh, uh, zombies, um, I kind of had to, had to think about all those, all those ideas at once. And, mm. and it really, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how the story really came about, but um, I had written, I'd written a sentence almost a year before that, that I just couldn't take in any w- proper direction. I'd written eight pages alongside the sentence and but the sentence stayed and, uh, 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 and then suddenly I had written the story and, and the story found a home. And then uh, I became almost, I guess the word is haunted by, by Marjorie because suddenly in the media I had consumed, I was hearing these off-screen characters present. I was watching the, uh, the Mr. Show with Bob and David mm. um, on HBO. And uh, in one sketch, they, they briefly mentioned, and this is at the moment of having just completed that short story, they had briefly mentioned an Aunt Marjorie off-screen. <laughs> And I was just like, that was like the most reaffirming thing to me for some reason. It was just like a weird omnipresent voice that just kind of kept driving me forward. Uh, And then I tried to look up like, you know, screenwriting, you know, legends or something like that to see if there's like some practice where everyone has to have a Marjorie as kind of a joke concept in their screenwriting. But I could never find any any actual uh, practice online that mentioned that. But then I, 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 I found more Marjories. So I was watching that series on Netflix called Love. And there was a character named Jory, uh, I believe, in the third season or something like that. Um, and then uh, there was a Marjorie in the alleyway when uh, when uh, uh, when Spider-Man was was rescuing someone in one of the Spider-Man movies. There was there's a Marjorie who was mm-hmm. yelling at uh, Stan Lee, who was playing like an offbeat character. Um, so it was, it was just like a really interesting uh, convergence of all these all these really you know problematic spaces, uh, yeah. uh, and also really. Uh, uh, relief giving spaces as well because you know I found comfort in that media comfort in that pursuit but at the same time I had all these other crazy things going on outside of me mm. um, so I don't know it was just it's it, it's a weird book and it, it's not really uh, akin to I guess saying that it's it's strictly one thing or another but I guess the 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 idea is that it is um sort of a satire of of uh satire of of, of that uh, uh fanatic mindset and and giving your your self over devotedly to a pursuit in time so mm. um but yeah yeah i think i just had fun with it and 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 found kind of a connecting piece to move around and and enjoy writing alongside because you know the ways in which I came about writing these stories were very sporadic and not very guided. Um, I would write pretty much like three times a week for many, many weeks over the semester and just, just trying to produce as many words as I could and, and, and taking 
you know, taking inspiration from, from books I was reading at the time and, 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 and trying to find that, that same tenor that drove the first short story that I produced. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, I enjoyed, well, I, I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed that process so much, but I had that, that sense of the, the clock ticking down as well. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and so, yeah, it, it just eventually became this, this, uh, this form, uh, this book form, um, yeah, but you know, it's it just dealing with so much in my life at that time. Uh, I guess I'm rambling at the moment, but <laughs> you know, that's something that I've not really heard anybody talk about, but um, has always it's always been something I, I've thought about, like with books that were written um, over the course of a graduate program. Mm-hmm. You know, because you mentioned how a lot of people go into these programs in a very uh, intense moment in their lives. And then there's things that they're working through as they're working on this, this book, this project. And then on top of that, there's a deadline that you have to hit to have like a, at least, you know, a, a draft, like a finished product to some extent. And so I've always thought about that with, um, with books that I've read where I, you know, I know that the writer produced it over the course of a, an MFA program, you know, that it's kind of like a composite of, I, I mean, I guess all books are, but I think grad school books in a, in a, in a more uh, specific way are like a composite of who that person was at the time they were writing it and like how they changed over the course of that program, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, suddenly, you know, it, it, it comes to the head that, um, what I had been writing had been, you know, really, really an occasion for, for writing at the same time. Cause I just didn't know what I could say to the world and, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what it was I wanted to say. It wasn't necessarily a one-to-one translation. It wasn't, you know, I'm going to tell them my endearing life story that has really programmed my, my trajectory in life. Um, I, I couldn't tell them all these really interesting family myths because my family, you know, growing up pretty fragmented and, and, and my sense of family, you know, was, it was governed just by moving around and, and being isolated. So um, uh, the, the ideas that people usually bring to, you know, oral tradition, oral history, I just, I didn't necessarily always feel connected to, but I also felt some kinship with, I guess. Mm. Um, so it was like trying to carve out my own myth, I guess. Yeah. Um, um yeah. I I want to mention uh because it's kind of spooky so you know you're mentioning uh, about all these marjories showing up as you're working on the book and like watching these tv shows the only marjorie that I've ever known is my aunt marjorie and uh oh. yeah so I got the book and then uh the second story like you know I looked at it and I was like oh this reminds me of my Aunt Marjorie just because of the name and then I go to the second story and there is an Aunt Marjorie and I was like wow this is kind of spooky so like hearing you talk <laughs> about it <laughs> you know it was interesting yeah and there just felt something otherworldly about that name as well it felt out of time and out of place but it's still a very common usage like uh I did I did a brief reading as as part of a like a press showcase at this uh online uh zoom event uh that had been running for like the whole pandemic out of uh, London area, the UK. It's called Cart Horse Orchestra, um, and I'm forgetting um, 
all the important details of that. But um, when, when I told them about my character, Marjorie, they had told me that the name Marjorie in, in Britain is a pretty uh, common one. It's almost akin to uh, the idea of our Karens here. So like mm. when people make fun of Karens, it's the same thing in London of making fun of Marjorie's. Um, so there's, there's kind of this weird um, expression and, and cultural relevance that I didn't even know was happening alongside of me trying to carve out my own special place in the cosmos, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and, you know, that's something I could never found out without having the book itself. You know, it's not, it's, I couldn't have had that conversation before I had this book. So in some ways, you know, the, the mystical properties of the texts have, have definitely shown themselves to be, uh, be evident. <laughs> yeah. um, just like all, just like all, all, you know, all self-affirming bias uh, in, in every media, but um, mm. uh, it is, it is something that has just been a nice, nice, interesting, uh, I guess, uh, experience on, on the timeline uh, 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 of my own. Uh, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, there was actually one story in particular uh, that jumped out to me service. Um, okay. And this actually uh, this story in particular, or um, this section like reminded me, of being in college because, um, <laughs> especially, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, because Marjorie's working at this uh, sales job in America's mall. And it just, there's this like sense in which it feels like the world is like crumbling around her. Like it feels like just beyond mm -hmm. the borders of the mall that like everything is falling apart and she's still having to work in this sales job. And then, you know, as the story goes on, we find out she's also dying <laughs> while she's working there. Um, yeah. So I had a sense of, you know, I think how it's probably felt for a lot of people um, over the last couple of years, uh, you know, trying to work jobs, go to school, like do these normal things that you do with your life uh, while all this insane shit is happening. And so when you were talking about like going to school during uh, the Trump era um, and like working through all these feelings that, uh, that was kind of cool to hear because I was, I felt like I had a sense of that as I was reading that in all of the stories, it feels like the world is like unstable, like something doesn't quite hold. Yeah. And, and, and I think, uh, uh, Matt Revert, the cover artist captured that pretty, pretty uniquely when I, when, uh, when I pitched him the idea of doing a monkey's face, he, he was the one who assembled the, the monkey's face out of all the words from the text. So it was, it was a pretty interesting piece of art to kind of think of in terms of this 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 static formless uh, uh, expression uh, uniting the work, I guess. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I think I worked I worked a part time job at a liquor store during grad school, so like having to work while the world was kind of like on fire around me uh, helped give me a sense of, I guess, like. Well, it, it didn't really give me a sense of belonging, but it, it felt like I was I was kind of living in 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 sort of this 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 acid trip of 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 time because you know everyone's still in their unique routines. They're all going to the bars. They're all buying their their fist of liquor, and mm. and you're just behind the counter, you know, while while the world is for for lack of a better word, while the world is on fire because 
you know, that's where you have to be for the moment. That's how you make, you know, money to, to, uh, support your, your creative endeavors. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was just like, it was an experience that governed how I could feel what I could feel at that time as well. Um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I brought in this, 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 uh, military experience being, 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 uh, a child of, of, of a military person. Um, it wasn't an experience that I found anyone else in my grad school colleagues having. Um, I had met people who were in the military, but none of them were studying literature or letters in the same way that I was. So it was kind of, it felt foreign, but it also felt kind of unique in its own way and, and industrious in, in that sense. But I didn't have a lot of stories from that because growing up, I didn't much care for the lifestyle at this point in my uh, uh, formation. Um, I just didn't have the desire to explore that. I didn't have the desire to revisit those years. But um, so it, it just it was kind of a crazy, absurd impression uh, that my dad was overseas fighting the war for six months at a time. You know, he was during during the Gulf War. <clears throat> I'm just growing up with my mom in California in this naval base housing. My grandma's over a lot, but I never had a sense of my dad's over here doing all this, all this crazy shit on a ship, um, trying to, you know, either protect or, 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 or create, uh, you know, this, this united front against some, some other, this, this ethereal, like, evil that had been defined um, I just didn't have that sense of that growing up so it's always been kind of this absurd notion to me this this idea of like devoting yourself to a cause and and, and wanting to explore that fully um, so yeah I just I think I think that just manifested itself because I'd work I was working a service job at the time and, and you know you're trapped behind a desk and you're just watching the world around you um, as as it expresses itself fully and uh, I just felt like setting that in a wartime effort and and eventually you know that barrier can't hold itself forever. You know, you're going to get involved in one way or another. Someone's going to knock something off the shelf. Someone's going to accuse you of overcharging them or, you know, yeah. uh, it, it, it's going to be, it's going to, it's not just strictly an observational mechanism anymore. It's, it's it, you know, you, you are part of this ongoing organism that is kind of slowly creeping around you and, and you feel, you feel its tendrils everywhere. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, the military is a, a crazy time. Um, I do not, I do not recommend it for anyone. So definitely not following in my dad's footsteps. My dad's footsteps, to be honest. So yeah. definitely, yeah. Mm. Um, you know, another thing that, like, what you're thinking of or what you're saying makes me think of is, uh, as I was reading it, I kept finding moments where it felt like it was a really good example of how to like talk about something in fiction without um, like, you know, directly saying like, here's what I'm talking about and here's what I feel about it. You know, several, several different stories. I felt like there were moments that um, could have applied to a couple of different ideas. And I I was curious about if that was something that you um, worked on throughout the program or as, you know, as you're writing the book, or also if it worked backwards, if, if as you were like writing, you kind of noticed um, moments where you could like explore some of these ideas that you were having about the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
you know, you have all these compulsions and tendencies as, as a person just by consequence of living. But um, when you are asked to kind of present those, it's, it's kind of a nerve wracking experience. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I had these ideas of, of where I had been, where I was going, but I, I didn't necessarily know what to say about them. Um, so I think, I think first and foremost, like, uh, I wanted to ground anything I said in a, in a sense of strangeness in a sense of otherworldness, because there isn't really an apt way to describe how I experience anything. <laughs> uh, I don't, I've never found like one common way to say, this is why I enjoy that song. So like the, the idea of writing nonfiction is, is kind of a, uh, a really, really harried one for me you know it, it, it's something that that doesn't feel achievable at the outset <laughs> so I, I think I think trying to ground those things in in just these these very uh open fields of of expression whether those are just like character names and just like keeping it only to character names and being able to transmute and transform those properties across the different narratives uh, that was important to me. Um, I also wanted to, you know, capture particular scenes because I, I felt compelled to describe moments where, you know, moments that had this, this, this uncanniness to them. So, you know, like the idea of, of, of listening to a song called Kids with Guns by Gorillaz and just like jamming out to that. But then like, to just think of how horrific that image is just like a storming group of kids with guns coming into any place at all. Um, but then to like, you know, to realize that that kind of happens with, with people who are just, you know, storming around uh, either, you know, policing efforts in, in schools or policing efforts in uh, uh, any community or, or policing efforts worldwide. If they're in the military, um, it, it really is like this realistic thing that people have to deal with. And, it's almost uncanny to think that that people have seen this image before. It's not just some fantastic carnivalesque thing that that we've dreamt up because we do a lot of drugs, you know. So yeah. um, it it is it is something that that could be grounded that could be, that had an emotional tenor already prior to my discovering that I that I could write something uh, of that of that ilk, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the the foundations were work from really open-ended prospects inward. So I was working from the outside in. I had this idea that I wanted to write a zombie story. And then I, I tried to define what goes on in my zombie story. You know, I didn't want to adhere to the normal tropes of zombies. I didn't want to adhere to the normal tropes of, of character development and, and, and triumph. Um, I, I, I wanted to, write these ambiguous narratives that maybe ran into one another. It felt like there were kinetic properties between each piece. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think I had really vague definitions for things that I wrote to begin with. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, just because, just because I, I wasn't able to communicate that either as like a grad student, I, I, I would talk to my professors and, and I remember, uh, one moment that was pretty funny to me is, you know, I, I'm writing these stories and, and I met with one of my professors in person. and They just said, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and that felt good to me because it was just like, it felt like I was getting somewhere that 
nobody could could really could really place themselves you know and and it felt uniquely me it felt you know something that i had had fostered rather than something that was built out of a tradition that had a lot of prestige because you know I, I didn't go to a grad school where prestige was enforced you know we, we had a pretty cool uh, magazine named passages north but it wasn't like i was going to cornell or something you know where, where there's like this this really heavy scholarship placed alongside um whatever pursuits were going on at the time um being up in northern michigan you know you're, you're already isolated um and uh, those increasing factors, you know, just encroaching a- across, you know, the time, feeling distant from your family, feeling distant from everywhere else in the world, um, feeling kind of like incubated in this little piece of land in Michigan, but at the same time, seeing how devastated other communities were, mm. um, was, it was just like a weird, uncanny, fractured, un- programmable way of navigating anything <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was so hard it was so hard to put into words and that's just kind of how the how the stories happened I, I enjoyed I think I think I was so angry writing this book at times in my life that it would be hard to write the same way again yeah. <laughs> I think I think I learned some tricks that I would like to do in, in later texts but as far as writing this same book over again, I don't think I would be capable of doing that at mm. this point in time. I think I heard one of my one of my favorite musician groups, uh, the Blood Brothers. Um, back in the day, they were kind of like this art house punk uh, uh, group out of Seattle, and you know they were 26, 24, writing their songs about Iraq and 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 public executions and and had this pop art stability with like really really kind of feminine vocals, but it was like a dual. Uh, uh, sort of interesting uh, uh, post-hardcore sound um, and and you know reading interviews with them they just said you know they don't think you know after they had disbanded uh, at some point uh, I believe it was like you know early 2000s uh, they just said we don't think we could ever revisit that anger in our life <laughs> mm. uh, that was just like a prescient moment that could never be reproduced or replicated and, and I felt the same way I felt a kind of a kinship with that idea uh, yeah. because you know i don't think i'll ever be as angry as i was in my 20s so, <laughs> <laughs> for um, sure yeah i i identify with that <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah i was kind of curious about how being in michigan affected the fiction uh because oh so I, the, yeah I, I think i can answer very very uh quickly with that um i didn't want to write about michigan uh, so sure. like, like a lot of people came into the program, uh, wanting to write about, you know, regional fiction. They wanted to write about the Midwest and, and working people and, mm-hmm. and, and, and this sort of like idea of like, you know, the Rust Belt tradition. And, and, and I just never felt like an affinity for that. I never felt, um, that Michigan was truly the place I was going to be. Although I do have a really fondness for it now. Like I would, I would totally go vacation there. Cause it's like, it's got a lot of unique parts of me, you know, captured there. But um, uh, as far as like writing about Michigan and, and, and doing anything related to the landscape, all my peers were doing that, but I just couldn't feel connected to, to that, to that part of it. Um, 
just because I knew that the time was going to end at some point. You know, I felt the clock. Yeah. I felt, you know, having having grown up in the military as a military brat, as they say, um, I knew I was going to move on. I was going to be forced to move on at some point. So mm-hmm. that that connection to the land and the people of Michigan, um, I think, drive me away from from writing about Michigan at the same time. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, obviously, you know, stuff leaked in. You can't you can't prevent yourself from writing about the place that you inhabit you know yeah um e- even like just writing a story about your apartment in michigan you're writing about michigan at the same time yeah and you know it's it's not like you can ever fully escape or shed what the world does to you so yeah absolutely i you know for me it's always interesting to hear how people uh interpret michigan or like experience michigan um just because as i mentioned before we came on the air uh, i've spent a lot of time there but I'm from the desert. So when I go there, it's like a total culture shock. And uh, I remember when I was younger, like driving through just like miles and miles of green and like, you know, cornfields, you know, driving past ponds and stuff. Mm-hmm. It made me want to like write uh, as a kid, like write stories, like write fantasy stories and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, that was interesting to me. I, I could, I could, uh, I could definitely see how, uh, it could be a, a good place to, to write something that's kind of like otherworldly, um, you know, but I know what you mean. Like there, there's a whole uh, a tradition of, as you're talking about like Rust Belt fiction, regional stuff there that. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's not saying that I necessarily believe that uh, you can't write successfully about those topics, but it was just something I didn't want to write at the time, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew that there was writers like Donald Ray Pollock and there was Jim Harrison in the area. And there was, there was a number of other, you know, influencing factors of, of, of just the consequence of this place having existed for many, many years. Um, but uh, uh, it just never, never felt like that was something that I had uh, in my pocket, I guess. Um, yeah. Cause I was only there for three years, you know, I, I, I moved there for school and I was finishing school and then I had to move away. You know, the idea was maybe I stay around that area, but it just didn't work out that way, unfortunately. So, no, for um, sure. yeah. So I guess, you know, some of these people had lived in Michigan their whole lives or they had moved when they were younger and they felt more connected to the place. But for me, it was just another, another stopping point on the big map of, of life, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, and it's interesting, like the stories in uh, We Were Called Specimens feel like they could take place anywhere, a lot of them to me. Um, as I was reading, I didn't have like a, you know, like a, a feeling like, oh, this definitely takes place here, this definitely takes place here. It, it felt like um, kind of like a a mixture of places, you know, like it, it, it reminded me of a lot of different places that I've been. Yeah. And I, and I think I wanted to bring that to the fiction because I had been a lot of places, you know, even if I didn't remember them, uh, it was just kind of like, as a consequence of having moved around, I wanted to feel that my fiction reflected that I didn't want to falsely write about a people or community that I didn't really feel invested towards. So, um, you know, consciously, I, I think I moved away from kind of place-based writing, although that was like kind of the fashion of my moment in grad school because <laughs> um, right. we we had these you know we had these fellowships where people would apply and they would say i'm going to drive around the up all these visit all these all these <laughs> cities and i'm going to learn about their histories and their mining cultures and i'm like yawn like <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that 
that wasn't important and that that didn't have its its valid aspects, but just the way in which like, what could I say as a 24 year old, you know, writing about all of Michigan <laughs> and all of its people. Um, I didn't think I had anything to say about Michigan, I guess. And it felt bankrupt to try to feel like I, I needed to express that. So, um, yeah, I, I had this, I had this affinity for, you know, Beckett, um, uh, reading a lot of people influenced by Beckett, you know, they, they set their fictions and, and these like kind of everywheres, this, 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 this non-setting, this non, non-corporeal, uh, non-corporeal, uh, sort of, sort of limitless, boundless kind of area of, of experience so like you know you think of like the play waiting for godot and mm. or got out or i don't know how you say it unfortunately but um um you know they're just in a place that's desolate it's 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 been raked over by time and by industry and there's a tree in the middle of it so there's not a lot to start a story there mm. and i worked from that maybe that enterprise of of it wasn't necessarily like trying to enforce like a minimalism to it but i just you know i i wanted to express that you know, stories could happen anywhere and, and they happen everywhere. And, and I think that was kind of one of the guiding principles. I was like, I'm never going to like name a city necessarily, unless it's like to satirize that idea of the city. Um, like, like when I do name New York city, it's because one of the characters is living in a fictional New York city that she's built for herself out of parts that she's bought from a hobby store, you know? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's definitely like a very much like picturesque kind of idea of, of place and, an attachment and fondness for place that I wanted to point at and, and, and interrogate um, because, you know, you, you can't ever actively do that in the moment. And people who try to ring like false prophets almost, it's like, yeah, you are the voice of Michigan. Sure. <laughs> are you the voice of Michigan now? The voice of Michigan past voice of Michigan future, you know, what, what is it exactly that you're saying about, about that place. And I just felt like I couldn't adequately do that as a writer. Um, and, you know, some people feel like that's the place, you know, that that's where they can work from, but I never felt like that kind of writer and kind of shrugged it off. And maybe that made me look more uh, unserious in my pursuits, but um, <laughs> I think, I think, I think I, I eventually got to the place where I, I knew what I wanted to do with my fiction. And, and there was a total, total manifestation of, of of desire and hope and drama um yeah in, in what i what i wanted to communicate so um yeah the moment that you're describing uh realizing that what you've written is something that you've created instead of like something that you've imitated i feel like that's that's the golden like thing that everybody kind of wants you know um like there's this quote that I've, I've heard and I have no idea who said this, but uh, it was something like, you know, you sound like a lot of people before you sound like yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so I was wondering, like, as you were kind of like experimenting uh, with, with your voice and like trying to find the way that you wanted to tell these stories, um, were there any particular writers that you read that like made you uh, realize that there were different ways you could write like different experiments you could do yeah i mean i grew up out of you know that that idea of like bizarro fiction was pretty big when i was in an, an undergrad so like that was a, a new a foreground so i, I liked the uh d harlan wilson uh who's a pretty prominent writer in that scene but he he also cited influences in russell edson 
who's mm. a pretty nice prose poet and writes really absurdist pieces where there's like literally like people sticking their feet in the ground to uh, amass teeth. Uh, and it's a poem called Dentistry. Um, uh, <laughs> so like, like these weird scenes that, that necessarily don't have a full narrative payoff, but still express something tangential and, and, and uh, full um, in, the, in that moment. So yeah, I worked, I worked, I think I worked from, you know, the absurdist kind of influences. So there's Beckett, you know, I had, I had a writer I really liked who I got to interview in grad school. His name is Robert Lopez. Um, he writes uh, very Beckettian uh, kind of influenced fiction. Um, uh, Lydia Davis was one, Diane Williams. Uh, I was really into like those raw, rough hewn edges of stories, stories that you had to spend time with and experience kind of like a painting. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, like Lydia Davis's book, uh, uh, story, I read, uh, I believe it's called The Old Dictionary. Uh, it, was, it was in some uh, uh, Anchor Books um, anthology that I read in undergrad. Um, and it was just like a story that made a pretty unique impression for me. Uh, the Simple Language of Stephen Dixon. Uh, I love Stephen Dixon's stories. He's just like a guy who wrote for purely the idea of writing's sake. You know, he wouldn't do readings if he didn't have to. He's just a guy who would write 500-page novels because that was what he was put on this earth to do. And, you know, that's not necessarily my journey, but, like, I could just admire that and pour over his sentences because they just had such, a, such an energy to them um, and such an expressive um, amalgamation of syntax. Um, I was really interested because I came into writing from a non-writing background. You know, I didn't study it in high school. I didn't think I was going to be a writer going into undergrad. Um, I really like when people like reinvent language and, and, and try to do new things with it. So right now I'm reading, um, I know that we'll probably get to that later, but um, right now I'm reading Lucy Corrin, who's just like a fantabulous sentence writer. Like um, I'm reading her new book, The Swank Hotel, and it's just like pages of like weird sentences. Um, and there's still just like a very endearing like workplace story set in 2008 America <laughs> yeah. um, at the same time. And so it's just like every sentence just says something new and, 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 and frank and unbelievable. Um, but yeah, so there's just like so many, so many people who influenced me. I was influenced a lot by contemporary writing at the time in grad school though. So like, I don't necessarily think that I had an affinity for people like, uh, uh, Bolazar and, and, and uh, Calvino, I knew that they existed, but that wasn't somebody I was reading actively. I read like the cosmologies like very briefly in grad school and was just kind of like, yeah, that's a, yeah. that's some postmodernist, you know, fabulism. And, and I know that's a thing, but I, I like what other people are doing at the time in the present and, you know, trying to capture what's going on in the world contemporarily. Cause you know, y- you can glean a lot from, from traditions, but you know, feeling, feeling as I did, feeling kind of uh, adrift um, at, at different times, personally and, and professionally. It's just like, it's something that you can't quite say comes from any one place. And so, you know, to say that I'm going to read uh, Labyrinths and, and, and know that this is going to be the text that inspires everything in the future that I write feels like a pretty like pretentious way to to navigate I guess for me so um 
and and that and also i just you know my plan of study in grad school i just there was like there was there's a lit requirement that I had, but I didn't necessarily enjoy lit classes because I just didn't know what to say about books sometimes. I enjoyed reading them, but it was stressful to read them as I taught and also to like write my own book alongside that and to have all these like critical texts, you know, kind of pulled out in front of me. Cause you know, as an undergrad, I had a pretty horrible experience with lit classes. I just like, I think at one point in my undergrad career, in my senior year, I was living in a very bad, like one story home with, with a roommate and I didn't have a closet or a door to my room. So I would just come home and dump PDFs that had been printed off for me on the floor, along with all my clothes, along with, you know, you know, I just didn't have any like coherence to my life. And, and so that's always been like a really fraught tendency for me to feel like I can come in and speak coherently about a text that, I prepared to talk about, you know, mm. um, so I, I, I'm much more for like, you, you know, these, uh, I, I don't know if the, if the word is orgiastic, but like, you know, spontaneous kind of conversations of, of literature and, and, and thinking about improvisational cues and, and moments and, and, and the way in which, you know, stand-up comedians kind of craft their work. It, it's kind of yeah. similar to the way that I like to talk in real life. I, you know, oftentimes I'm doing a lot of callbacks just, just with friends groups and, whether or not they like it, uh, to be determined, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm trying to get myself away from that more like academic way of talking about books. Cause I feel like when I got into undergrad, I realized there was this way that, um, I was expected to talk about books and classes. And so I really, really, I remember like just trying so hard to get good at it because I wanted to like prove to myself that I could do it. But now I feel like sometimes I get stuck trying to talk about books with people, you know, just like if we're, if we're not in a class or anything, we're just like talking about books at, you know, at a, over coffee or something. I feel like I get like stuck in, in getting into those little like academic uh, corners. And um, mm. so maybe it's kind of good actually that, uh, you know, it sounds like you were kind of like in the, the other direction. Cause a lot of times I feel like I'm, I'm trying to like, <laughs> deprogram my brain from some of that stuff if that makes sense yeah yeah you know i mean i know that there's like rich traditions of study where there's you know uh you know deridian theory and, and schools of thought and, and ideas of where you can break down language into symbols and hegemonic you know uh apprenticeships between uh, uh different uh classes of studies and you know class occurs in literature and, and there's definitely like themes that speak to you know, just about everyone. Uh, and they're all important to kind of think about in terms of, of, of the cultural context. But um, yeah, it's just, it never felt like I could ever accurately take one of those inroads and, and, and speak to the truth of the text. Because, you know, I was pretty culturally blind growing up. You know, I had my dad who was in the Navy he would come home after his six month ship leave. Didn't really talk about the world, you know, and I was young um, and we had a pretty fraught relationship most of my life. Um, so like to, to get like a worldly perspective, I would kind of have to make it up as I went along. Um, and so like coming into grad school, I took like a British lit class and I didn't even have a clue that, you know, like world war one was just like such a fraught, 
you know, moment. And there's a moment between World War One and World War Two where there's just like this post-war haze of like uh, uh, impressions and 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 uh, importance and and cultivation um, that I I just couldn't. There was no ramification for that previously that I had held. Um, and I felt pretty ignorant, I guess, I guess the word mm. is like ignorance. I like, I enjoy my ignorance a lot. Um, like personally, um, but being in that setting in a lit classroom, you couldn't feel like you could be ignorant. And mm. if you were ignorant, it was kind of shamed. There wasn't like, just like Frank discussions of, of what a text meant or, or not really what a text meant, but like what a text was doing or how the text was performing or, or where we saw a text designed um, from. And so it felt like it was just like in the same way that my fiction felt otherworldly, my process of writing fiction felt otherworldly, you know, that, that conversation felt out of time, out of space and, and unimportant um, to kind of really, really spend my time and energies on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think everyone makes a choice to do. Um, some people can walk both, both roads pretty, pretty uniquely. Um, some people, you know, walk one road, but um, having both of those roads available is, is important as well. Um, I think, um, but it was just like, it was just something that I could never uh, uh, take directive or take assurance in having a space for <laughs> in my, in my lifetime. You know, I would go home and, and my family is not readers. They do read. My mom read to me when I was young, but it's not like I go home and talk to them about like Faulknerian narratives and, and, yeah. and, and, and Gothic literature. We don't have those conversations. I'm like, dad, you want to like watch this action movie? You want to watch this horror movie? Like these are the concepts that like I use to guide what I want to select for the night of viewing. You know, I would know like what characters do and, and, and why that's an important text, but you know, to be able to, communicate that to my parents was I think eventually that became more important to me than than being able to contextualize it for all of society the big s society you know yeah. um, just because there's so much rich things happening at once it's, it's hard to say that I cared about any one of them more than the other um, um, yeah yeah absolutely. whether that's you know politics or sports or you know any other sort of authority that that people adhere to when they're 24 to through 27 you know mm -hmm. so it's, yeah. it's I, I wanted it all I was, I was maybe greedy and very ill-prepared to uh, really express that greed so yeah um, at the same time I just didn't have a lot of time because I was teaching uh, I was I was editing my magazine uh, which wasn't passages but it's heavy feather review which I've been doing since I've been in an undergrad so I was doing that daily almost and, and working with people in, in different states and different time zones and, and different, you know, uh, publication times and, and coordinating that effort. And, you know, it's just, it, it always felt fractured and fragmented and it always felt like I couldn't be the absolute, uh, uh, the absolute professional that I need to be. Um, so I just kind of, I just kind of leaned into the, the other spectrum, the other end of the spectrum, I guess. So. For sure. You know, I was, uh, I was talking to a friend a couple of weeks ago who uh, teaches high school uh, English. And she was telling me that she was kind of frustrated with like teaching requirements about 
how they were kind of like discouraging her from talking with, I mean, not discouraging, but basically she felt like she couldn't really talk with uh, the high school students that she worked with about how the, what they were reading, like made them feel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I told her like that, that seems like kind of weird to me because it, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, but to me, it seems like the way that you learn to, to write or to read or to get invested in like caring about books is like, you kind of, the first thing has to be like, how does this make me feel? Um, yeah. So that, I mean, that makes sense to me that like, maybe that's the stuff to, to lean into when you're trying to write um, a book that's exploring like these really deep feelings is like, you know, like what's actually like relevant to me and what, do, and like you said, you know, what do I have time for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I was working, I don't know when did I go into work at it? I think I showed up for work maybe I want to say at like four and then I worked anywhere till two in the morning from like Friday and Saturday. And then I would work maybe a day shift on Sunday. So my whole weekend was just occupied with work usually. And then, um, you know, I could do stuff during the day and I had a lot of energy back then when, when I could turn my attention to just everything social at once. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you just, I just couldn't like ever wear the fully academic hat that a lot of my other uh, peers were kind of pursuing and and it just felt I felt you know incomplete for that at the same time but I also felt like you know that I was doing something for myself and it felt more more uh, important for me that way rather than um, doing it for the school or doing it for country and God you know so <laughs> um, you know I think that's just generally I, I am a skeptical person. And so any, anybody who says this is the way to do something, I'm going to find a way to do it that probably, you know, I, I think most humans do this, but like, you know, I'm going to find shortcuts or I'm going to find my own way to do anything. Um, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe that's not something that everyone likes, um, but it is something that is chiefly important for me. Um, yeah in any aspect so i don't think there's one thing when it comes to probably anything but at least writing for sure that um i don't think there's one thing that's right for everybody i guess Mm -hmm. you know i'll I'll talk to people sometimes like friends will tell me you know i think every writer should be able to do this right and i'm just like i don't know i mean i just think that there's so many examples of people who've done things so many different ways it's it seems like maybe there's not anything that's like like maybe there's guidelines for things that uh, like generally this seems to help, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there's any like hard and fast, like everybody's got to do this. Yeah. And, and I think I took a lot of confidence, you know, coming out of grad school and finding people who had done it their own way. Um, speaking for instance, like this, this sweatshirt I'm wearing, uh, it has like the first line from uh, Vitol Gombrovich's uh, diary, uh, which is a book he wrote in a pretty churlish manner he wrote the book expressly to be famous um so he's like his his whole aspect of like writing was to be like immature and 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 wanting to undercut that that high literary art function that was happening around him he was also an ex expatriate from poland and, and his work had kind of got censored uh when he was in poland so he moved to argentina or Argent, argentina um, and, and was doing his work from that aspect. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think, you know, this, this reflective pool that everyone is a part of 
you know, it's easy to get caught in the glare of the reflection uh, to, to feel like you have to present some sort of really structured piece to, you know, not even just like a piece of writing, but a real structured, cohesive, you know, person to, to anyone that you're, you're or a re- real uh, uh, cohesive self to anyone at any one time. But I feel like that's not typical of human experience. So yeah. um, I, I really like, you know, I shiver when people are like, this book speaks to the human condition. It's like, no, it doesn't. No, <laughs> yeah. it's very static and like, and, and pretty, pretty, you know, pretty clean prose. It's, this is not how people talk. This is not how people experience the world. And, you know, to, to say that it feels presumptuous, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that's always a weird thing for me when people say that something felt really, hu- I mean, I've probably said it too, but like when people mm-hmm. say something felt really human, because mm-hmm. I'm like, what is that? What do you mean by that? Like, there's so many things that could mean. Yeah. It, you know, the, the sciences, you know, there's, there's people who have railed against that kind of thinking, you know, the idea of, 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 you know, earth being kind of just a unique aberration in the wor- in the universe. Um, I, I know that there's one school of thought on that, but it's just like, it's interesting to think that like, that this like self-centered or like this, this humanity centered view of things is something that just guides every backbone of every piece of everything, every, 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 every uh, coordinating moment in history, every, every, every law, every regulation. It's just really interesting to, and kind of almost unfathomable in the same way that there's, you know, there's monsters under the bed and, and, and there's, you know, there's, there's people who are in hiding uh, for crimes that they committed, you know, like it's yeah. just at the same time that all these, uh, all these narratives are happening. It's just hard to say that, that we know how to tell them at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's easy to get trapped in the reflective glare of, of your glasses, I guess. So um, I try to take them off from time to time. Speaking <laughs> crude metaphor. but Pretty good one. That was that was honestly like I could see that on a T-shirt or something. That was a good, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good phrase. Um, how did you uh, first start writing? Well, um, I wrote for my English classes in high school. Like you would you'd be assigned to write a poem. And like, you know, I listened to music chiefly, you know, I was a big, I, I, before we had Spotify, there was the iTunes library. So I would buy each one of my songs or I would find them illegally and download them, but I would catalog my library for hours. And that was something that I just took immense pride in. Um, so like the idea of like songwriting or, or poetry was almost familiar to me. Cause even, even like my uh, great grandpa, uh, we have this binder of like poems that he wrote throughout his life and sketches that he made. And, you know, it's, it's looking back at it. It's, it's something, you know, unique to his experience, but um, it's not the kind of thing that I think um, necessarily put under the gun that I would write either. Um, so um, to know that these things existed and to know that they were outlets for creativity and spontaneity, I think eventually I just came into the idea of being a practice reader, you know, knowing that I, I could read, that that was an outlet, that that was something that people were doing in the world that, you know, I read a lot of Stephen Keen, I read William Burroughs, um, 
Yeah, I read Naked Lunch in like high school for like a class, and we had to share that for some some day, like what we were reading, and and nobody knew what I was talking about, but I thought it was super <laughs> hilarious. Um, but then seeing those connections that were fostered across the arts, so I saw that you know, uh, Kurt Cobain had recorded you know a spoken word album with William Burroughs, and I was like, oh my god, that's like the zeitgeist at at work. Um, um, but yeah, eventually, you know, I had to go to I had to go to school. Um, and I knew that I could, I didn't just want to like work out of high school. I knew that that wasn't something I want to do. Cause I was being told I had to go to college. I had to go to college. I had to go to college. I was going to go to a community college, which was 40 minutes away from me and study to be like a physical therapist assistant, mm. uh, simply because one of my friends said that was what they were going to do. <laughs> and so I was just going to follow them. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a respectable career. I like working out at the time. You know, that's, that's something I could do. Uh, people make money doing that. But then I, you know, I drove to go visit the, the, the campus and there's just so much traffic and I hated driving from Sandusky to Lorraine. And I just came home and I was like, I'm not doing this every day. Like I can't, I can't drive this far away to go to school. I need to go to a different college. So you know, I, I just talked my parents into the idea of I need to go to four year university. And, and from there, I, I entered into the composition writing classes and not having a very strong writing background or writing portfolio at the time. Like, you know, I, I didn't take honors English. I probably could have in high school, but I just was a perennial slacker. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to try hard. Um, I, I came into the composition writing classes, you know, pretty, pretty behind the times, but, you know, needing that, I think. Uh, uh, sort of study so but there was still at the same time like you know to start a paper you had to write something so I, I did a lot of little stupid like narratives to begin my papers and at one point one of my instructors uh, at the time who I took for both composition courses was just like you should take a creative writing course and I was like ah, maybe I like reading and then I just switched my major because I was just like, yeah, that sounds good. I didn't want to be a physical therapist anyways because I had taken a science class at that point and knew I just survived because of the lab grade. Uh, the lecture was just, un you know, I couldn't put into words how stressed out I was about each lecture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, having to go to that place, a room full of like 200 people, knowing that I didn't understand like a word of what the professor was saying on his his Scantron up front and his jokes about Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I was just like, <laughs> how do these two things work to like understand human and animal biology? And I just didn't understand, you know, I just didn't put a lot of time into, into really, really thinking about the sciences. So I knew, I knew English was going to have to have to happen and, and just being a kind of a, a hobbyist reader. I knew that I wanted to do something with that and, and explore like what it is, you know, how do we tell stories and how do people write these massive novels that I enjoy reading? Mm. Um, Cause yeah, up to that point, all I knew was like Dean Coots, Stephen King, a little yeah. bit of William Burroughs. Um, I knew, you know, I had a pretty tra traumatic moment at lunchtime in high school when I was carrying around uh, like one of the uh, Nova Express trilogy books and someone, you know, someone of course, you know, used that moment to kind of, expressing like homophobic fears of of what i was reading they were just like hey that's that you know don't be so gay at the moment and and it was it was tough to kind of just be like no this is not like that's not what this is about this is like you know i'm, I'm trying to just read this and understand what, what people are doing and um 
so yeah, it was it was it was just like a weird like everything is it was a weird gradual journey of of ascension um because you know you, you don't ever really know where you're going at the end of the day and yeah to kind of say like i like to read okay i can try to write a song or i can try to write a poem okay somebody said that was good okay you know now you're in a class where you have to do that four times over the semester you're reading all this new stuff and you're like this is amazing because i didn't know any of this stuff existed before and then just just trying to kind of bring that back in um and 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 output it every week was kind of a challenge and a challenge that didn't feel false or misleading it was a challenge that felt you know honorable and you know apt to what i wanted to do moment to moment but yeah i mean it really just came from a suggestion and going for broke with that suggestion because I didn't think I'd ever be a writer to, per se. There was never a moment where I said to my mom, I want to be a writer <laughs> yeah. uh, when I was growing up there, you know, there's different times when I, you know, I grew up drawing a lot and I was like, I want to be a comic book artist, but like it never occurred to me that people wrote the comic books, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I identify with what you said about like the science classes. I remember just, and it, you know, the, I remember the idea of like having to do math and science in college just being like so terrifying. So I was like, mm -hmm. anything that'll get me away from that, that would be good. Cause I just don't, I, I, for me, it was like, I just don't think I can do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I took like an algebra class and, and I could do it. I, I, you know, memorizing formulas was fine, but like trying to think about the, the minuscule nature and the fabric of everything in the world and, and trying to think about, you know, the different energies of protons, neutrons, electrons, that just, that kind of guiding metaphor and study just never really resonated with me. It felt too, um, too uh, uh, kind of programmatic and, 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 and just something that I couldn't, I, I found quickly that I couldn't cut it. <laughs> it wasn't sure. a conversation I felt like I could have. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but, totally. Um, yeah, sometimes I, I always, sometimes I kind of wonder if like uh, the things that we end up doing just come down to like what we can stand to do all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, even if you love something, um, if you're going to do it all the time, it, it eventually will become work. I mean, that's like the cliche that everybody says, but I, I guess mm -hmm. it's like, which, which work, that's the thing I always think about anyway, is like, which work can I actually like stand to do when it becomes work, you know, that I like it that much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, the, there, there is a certain, you know, pride that I take in, in being able to work and being able to have like, a regular job and, and being able to also have creative work alongside that where I can, you know, explore more esoteric interests. Um, but I, I, I don't think that the idea that, you know, necessarily that this thing was ever going to become work really resonated for me. It was, it was always just more about play and escape and, and adventure and and bravado and and things that 
you know, I couldn't really necessarily ever get out of my normal day-to-day routines because, you know, I, I either was like super shy or super depressed, or, you know, all, all these different states of being, but I was never, never like these characters were in the books. So, yeah. um, and, and, you know, I think I gravitated towards supernatural things because they felt, you know, they felt like they had a scale that were important and, and, and grandiose and, and, you know, I think I just naturally gravitated towards the strangeness of them because that's the way I was, I was kind of weaving the quilt of, of my life at the moment. You know, I, I never, I never thought that really I had, I had all the pieces out of the box to put the puzzle together. So um, mm-hmm. I was still finding pieces as, as I walked along the road, um, you know, kind of like the trip back from Oz, you know? So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, and, you know, recently I found out that they made a sequel to that movie and I didn't even know about the eighties return to Oz, but it is a creepy film. It's on oh, Disney really? plus, but um, it's like from 1985 and they did like, so many interesting things with it. I'll have to send you the video essay to it. Um, but yeah, uh, please do. It, that sounds interesting. Yeah, there's like a psychological study of like all the things like children fear in life, and there was like <laughs> 76 items that were on that psychological study. And the essay says that at least like 40 of those things appear in the Return to Oz film. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it is like a very psychologically devastating kind of kind of movie. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's interesting to think of 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 life as just a program of fear-based responses so my my cowardice has worked better for me than any kind of false bravado well yeah you know i mean like that that kind of thing i just find super fascinating like you know when you um when you like find a piece of media that like resonates with you in that way where you can't quite say like why it's scary or even like the opposite, like why it, uh, why it appeals to you. There's just something about it that like touches something in you, whether, you know, whether it's an image or a line or something. Um, your book felt a lot like that to me. I mean, there's all these moments where I was like, you know, I don't quite understand like why this particular line sits with me in the way that it does, but there's something about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, responses that we can like point to or, or or urges that we can point to that you know have resonances with with other other groups of thought but you know we're all like these psychological spiritual um physical beings with with like awkward bodies in in very big rooms so uh, <laughs> you have to like you have to control everything about you at any given moment and some of those things are subconscious or unconscious processes and some of those things are conscious and very awkward exchanges you know just like just like any yeah. zoom conversation but um, <laughs> uh really you know it's 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 like kind of just like being able to look at the room that you're in and understand you know where everything belongs or understand that everything has a place in the room at any given time. And, and I don't know, I'm making stuff up, but you know, you know what it is. Like, it's, it's really like, it's not a sense of entrapment or being trapped, but more of a sense of, of being able to work through 
different uh, stages of life, you know, in the sense that life is the room and that you're the person occupying it. You know, it's really, it's really hard to say that, that the room is, is ever finished being, you know, ever finished being designed or being um, fabricated or being whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you do with your home space. So, um, so yeah, at the same time, I think, I think I want my fiction to kind of say that throughout, throughout my, uh, throughout my time on this earth, I guess. Um, It's, it's, it's hard to think of it in a finite way, but um, yeah, I, I think, I think I want my, my fiction or my art to uniquely express something about me and about my experience. And, you know, I, I'm not so much in, in the way of, you know, an Instagram story where I, I need to be relevant, but um, it's important to think that you can express something beyond yourself, um, mm-hmm. you know, from the very place in which you sit, you know, on the couch, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. something, there's something unique about, about being able to contextualize uh, language and experience and, and stories and and being able to shape those things like like any putty or any sort of clay it's it's, mm. it's really it's really i think i think people disregard it as an art form sometimes but i think it's really special to be able to to work through language and and make important these these random assembly of letters because um without that, without language, you know, what else would we have, you know, um, that, what's the word, you know, that's what separates us from the animals. I don't know. Um, my cat talks a lot, but that's maybe just in my head, you know, so. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like mine talks too, you know, even, even like with, you know, with cats, you know, Mm -hmm. cat owners, if you're listening, you know what I mean? You know, like you, (laughs) you, you feel like they kind of have their own little way of telling you things, their own little personalities. I don't feel right. that quite as much with dogs. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't grow up with the dog, so I, I did have a dog when I was little. But then we had to get rid of him because we had to move into different housing. We moved from an apartment to naval housing. I guess no pets were allowed. Um, so I have like this uncanny impression of a dog in my lifetime. I was like two years old, and there's this giant tabby, this golden retriever or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's this dog that uh, that we, I think her name was Tabby, but I had no actual sense of ownership <laughs> with <laughs> um so yeah it, it, it's interesting that that dogs don't work that way for me necessarily um i do enjoy dogs it's not like i stay away from dogs but um i think my tendencies are more towards the uh the cat variety i guess cat persuasion yeah me, me too i like dogs i feel like my temperament works more with cats like they don't need me all the mm-hmm. time you know yeah yeah i think i think if i had to go on walks at multiple points throughout the day you know out outside of my own volition it would create problems yeah <laughs> yeah for sure um you know uh one other thing i wanted to ask you about was you mentioned your magazine uh heavy feather mm-hmm. review um mm-hmm. could you just tell me a little bit about that like how it got started and kind of what your mission is behind it yeah i mean uh uh mission is to you know put out art that I feel is, is, is working to define art for myself. You know, it's a very selfish endeavor. I didn't have to start the magazine. It's something that, you know, 
I definitely did because I wanted more time with literature than I was getting in school. Um, because yeah, you know, I, I did, I did like an editorial internship at Mid American Review at Bowling Green State, and that's where I met some other people like Matt Bell, Mike Chisniewski. You know, these people that you know have have these vast networks of, of connection and 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 things that I I wasn't necessarily understanding at that time, just being in the classroom and having to talk about my work. Um, so eventually, I edited for the undergrad journal there because we just had a rich history of literary journals on campus for some reason we had we had both mid-american review and then we had prairie margins um so there was just like an interesting class that i could take and and in that class i met another creative writing major named nathan flume and we enjoyed like that space so much that and we also knew each other through the internship at mid-american review um that we just said we should do this more like we're not getting enough out of just this like 45 minutes a week, um, uh, two, uh, 45 minutes, two times a week or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, there's, there's all these writers that we were learning about that were contemporary and were producing work at the time. So like Roxy and Gabe, like Butler, like, you know, all these people who just like lived through the internet and we were just like, how do we talk to them? Um, and it really was just like purely, you know, selfish <laughs> but we we knew that we could do it because our our uh mentors at the time being mike chisniewski and matt bell in you know Anne valenti um all of them were just like of that world and knew that you know it wasn't so hard to do this thing that was publish other people's work <laughs> um so when i said hey i want to start a literary magazine how do i do that you know they they said, well, you can either like read for other literary journals or you can start your own. And how you do that is you look into these websites. And so it's just like, it became a gradual conversation that me and Nathan put together. And then eventually Nathan moved on to other designs, but you know, I've kept it running for about 11 years now. That's awesome. Maybe 10 years, but yeah. So it started in 2011, April of 2011. And uh, at this time, at this moment in time, uh, calendar dates escape me, but um, yeah, it's just been something that I knew was always part of my life and was always going to be the stable sort of current of, of expression in my life. Because, you know, if, if I at any time couldn't produce art or I was in a job that didn't allow me to be who I was, I knew that I had the magazine to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't grow up with like a context of like zine culture or anything like that, but I knew that there was this like this general compulsion of people to kind of catalog things. And it felt a lot like my iTunes library almost, you know, like I was yeah. collecting these pieces and putting them out and, and suddenly I was the guy deciding what went online and that, you know, that feels powerful in a way and that feels empowering in a way. And mm. You make those connections with other writers and you learn what they're doing and what they're reading. And, you know, it just makes life so much richer for experiencing it, you know? Um, and then, yeah, just to do that, I, I was able to, you know, teach myself about artists and how to put together a book. And, and so now we're, we're trying to figure out how to run it as a press at this time in, in history. Uh, Cause we, we've got one author's book contracted and we're trying to work through that editing process and design process, uh, you know, just like I went through as an author, but maybe a little bit slower. Um, <laughs> but uh, so there's that, but then also like putting together an anthology and thinking about, you know, how do works respond to one another? What kind of writing, fits in our aesthetic um while also not trying to be such an exclusive aesthetic that no one else can really understand what is going on you know yeah. i think that's the trouble with some magazines when they run their life cycle 
they've just published the most uh not really obtuse or inaccessible but just the most like removed and uninviting you know kind of experience for writing it is run its course so to speak so there's like a finite moment of expression for it and whether you know that becomes taxing for the editor that becomes taxing for the writers because the writers aren't producing necessarily what that what that magazine wants so yeah um, i think i think i've just always kind of like felt that the magazine itself could exist simultaneously with me. And so, you know, we started out doing an ebook and I was like, Oh, that's how you put an ebook together. I'll do it. I didn't know how to do that to begin with, but I was like, yeah, there's answers out there. Um, then I learned how to do website editing. So like even with wordpress.com, I can format poetry in a pretty, you know, pretty expansive way. Yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, then from there, you know, we, we started deciding that we're going to run like themes on the blog. So we've got like a food writing theme. We've got a, a horror theme. We've got survivalist theme. <laughs> so there's just like a lot of fun that you can, that can still be had um, in that, in that space. And it's a space to play and discover. Definitely. And, and I met some of like some really good friends through that, you know, it, yeah. it hasn't just been like a closed off door where I just like have never had a conversation with the community at large either. Um, Totally. It's always like a taproot. It's like a taproot. You're always tapped into something. Um, and it can be messy at times. Like the literary community is kind of a, a really bad place. So it can be a bad place yeah. uh, uh, in a lot of ways. And social media, I think, exacerbates that a lot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been thinking, uh, of I've been th I don't know. I've thought about deleting my, my social media accounts many, many times. I think the only reason I don't right now is mostly just for the show. Like it feels like, yeah useful to have it for the, the purpose of the show but mm. i don't know i don't i definitely don't think uh it makes me a better person <laughs> not at all i think i've definitely removed myself from the daily posting that i used to do in my early early career so like my facebook today i just like posted about three books that i want to read or pre-order and it's like that's the post i'm gonna make i don't have children to share no one cares about like pictures of my cat <laughs> um, and I don't feel like they need to care about that. So I just don't share those anymore. I used to overshare a lot. Yeah. Um, I, um, that's another thing with social media. Sometimes I have a hard time not getting like angry at people who follow me on my personal accounts because I'm like, you know, I'll post a, a photo of my wife and I, and everybody's like, you know, likes it and is, oh, this is great. You know? And then I'm like, Hey guys, here's something I'm doing. If, if you could support it that'd be great and i get like, like three likes, likes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah yeah especially you know you find that a lot with like publishing too like when you get into like the big prestige journal everyone loves you and then when you publish in like you know spunk quarterly everyone's just like yeah good for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> and no one's read either piece either they're just like they're just liking it to like and and it's 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 a bad drug that dopamine um, yeah, but it's necessary for the moment we say anyways i mean people found records before the internet i feel like we can do it again you know yeah 100 percent. yeah I, to... yeah i don't know if because i've heard people say that they're like well we you know we have to do it and i'm like i just do we though i don't know i yeah i mean you know there's a natural organization to the the matter of things and you know, people are going to talk, there's going to be communities, schools of thoughts, you know, even though 
social media makes the appearance that everyone's more connected all the time. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. You know, I think, I think there's, there's more to be said in the silences than there is in the, the very prominent voices, <laughs> I guess. Totally. Um, a lot of people that I call friends these days that I've met through social media, we don't talk a lot on social media. So <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, we've moved away from, from the performative uh, displays of, of friendship. You know, it's not like I'm commenting on everyone's status anymore. It's like, eh, yeah. I know what you're up to. So <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause that is the other, and that is the other uh, side of the coin. It's, you know, so much of the writing that I like the most I've found through Twitter and mm-hmm. uh, you know, met writers that I admire through Twitter. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's a way we can make it better. I don't know. It's one of those things I have very confused feelings about. Yeah. And, and, and I also like to embrace the, the spontaneity and un, unnatural tendencies of it. Like, you know, the, having this like algorithm govern, govern everything, like it's put together some really cool things for me. You know, it's not like yeah. I've been completely without hope in the sense of, of uh, a corporation telling me what to like. Um, so I don't know, it, you know, it, it's, it's definitely something that could be a project for improvement, but I don't think I'm necessarily the person to run that project. So um, yeah. yeah, like to, to even think about how to improve social media just makes me, you know, I, I feel the stomach acid rising. It's just like, <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, I, I don't even know where to begin with that. Like, I think, you know, may, maybe there's like a delay in days for posting. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> the, the time you tweet something, you have three days to decide whether or not you actually need to tweet it, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that would probably be useful. Yeah. They're like, you can't, we're not going to share this with everyone for three days, and you can remove yeah. it at any time. Right. <laughs> I mean, it would have saved my ass uh, many times, but yeah, I think that I, I could have used that when I was on Facebook a couple of years ago. Would have gotten <laughs> <in> the... <laughs> oh man, Facebook just ruins so many families. Oh man, like <laughs> you know way too much about your aunts and uncles that you never wanted to know. Like yeah, even like my own father, like seeing the memes that speak to him that he wants to share. <laughs> oh, it's disgusting. So it's yeah. uh. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that there is any uh, <laughs> actual, actual lasting moment that social media could define for us. <laughs> it just <laughs> helps. It helps aid in a bet. Uh, some really, some really interesting and not always needed uh, conversations, I guess. But, no, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Um, but yeah. Well, uh, anyway, I, I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you about your work. Um, mm-hmm. What's uh, one book you'd like to recommend and uh, one album? Well, uh, one book, uh, this is going on pre-order tomorrow, but Marcus Pactor, um, he's an amazing short story writer. He just does not get a lot of uh, regard. Very smart scholar, teaches out of, uh, out of Florida, um, I believe, uh, at a school in Jacksonville. Um, but his writing is getting a release tomorrow. Well, uh, a pre-order release, um, through Astrophil Press. 
Mm. It's called, and it's story collections by Marcus Packer. It's called Begat Who Begat Who Begat. Um, and it's a collection of stories and, and he, he does a lot of like formalistic, interesting things with it. There's, there's holes appearing in the middle of the stories. There's lists. There's, uh, there's so much capacity for invention and playness um, that, are, that um, is going on in that text. Um, and so much dramatically uh, uh, different from the first book that he put out as well. So, which was like many years ago, I think in like 2016 or something like that was Sabido. Um, so on Astrophil Press, it's called Begat Who Begat Who Begat by Marcus Packerin. Uh, I think everyone should, you know, make an effort to at least look at that book because <laughs> it's, it's going to be a very interesting book, I think, for, for the moment. Um, as far as an album, oh, I think I really like, uh, let me see if I can uh, look it up here. Uh, do you know the, the Montreal band called Ott? No. Uh, so the singer, his name is Tim Darcy, and he is kind of out of the post-punk kind of traditions mm. of songwriting. So lots of kind of like nasally vocals and production, but also very, very rhythmic guitars and very groovy kind of sound. I found out through them uh, uh, because of their association on the algorithm uh, with Parquet Courts, uh, which is a much more, you know, kind of renowned band But um, at the moment. But uh, uh, I want to say that their album with Big Beautiful Blue Sky on it is the one I would recommend, which I am looking up the name of right now because okay. I do not listen to albums on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so this is a 2015 album, actually. So I'm going back in history here. Uh, it's called Sun Coming Down, and it's by Ott, O-U-G-H-T. Um, beautiful, beautiful soundscape and such an interesting range of vocal styles. Um, it feels a lot like Nick Cave, but also at the same time, it feels like influenced by Talking Heads um, and the Feelies. Um, so it is just like a strange amalgamation of sounds that and I would recommend that for anyone to check out and the big beautiful blue sky is such a great song it's like seven minutes but I can listen to it over and over and over again <laughs> um, just nice. says so much it's, it's like a list poem it's just a list poem occurring in song form and it's just so fun to listen to over and over again so awesome yeah I can't wait to go listen to that um, where, where can people uh, go to find you and your work online uh, well, yeah, I mean, my publications online exist. I've got a website called cultofmarjorie.wordpress.com, which is just kind of my author hub. Um, never really update that too often. Uh, I've got Facebook, if you find me on Facebook. I've got Twitter for the magazine, so at Heavy Feather Rev um, on Twitter, um, shortened for Heavy Feather Review. Um, and you can communicate with me there. Uh, if you need to email me, obviously just DM me and we can talk. But um yeah, Heavy Feather is kind of my project, so that's the thing that really channels all of my uh, creative ambitions and pursuits. So if you find Heavy Feather, that's that's where I'll be. Nice. Wherever we are in the world. Wherever we are in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for the chat and for uh, giving me a chance to read your work. I'm uh, excited to see whatever you write next and uh, chat with you again. Yeah, thank you so much, Franco. It's a good time. Thanks for listening to my episode with Jason Teal. Here's some info about Jason. He's the author of We Were Called Specimens, which you can get right now from Kerpunked Press.
It was a finalist for Big Others Reader's Choice and Best Fiction Book Awards. Amy Hempel selected his story, Indelible Human Food, as second place winner of the Microcosmos 2020 Fiction Contest. He has other writing in 3AM Magazine, Quarterly West, Smoke Long Quarterly, Volume 1 Brooklyn, and Hobart, among other publications. I hope you go and get Jason's book. It's a great read. And if you like what I'm doing, head over to Apple Podcasts and give me a rating. It helps a lot. Goodbye. Goodbye.